0: We, we For this month, we've uh, we've turned prayer into a theme, and we figure if there's 12 months in a year, and we want this year to be blessed by God, that why not give God a chance to bless us? And so we have paused, and in this month, we're going to walk through prayer and talk about it. As you came in, you might have seen in the foyer uh, a whole bunch of these wristbands called Pray First, and um, if you're strong and muscular like me, it doesn't really fit too well. I'm just kidding. But... This is, this is for you to take. There's no agenda to it. Like w- whether you're able to make it to these meetings or not, this is yours. We have, uh, we have, we have all kinds of booklets, but we want to help you to pray. The Bible says that when his disciples came up to Jesus, they didn't say, teach us to lead worship. No, they didn't say, teach us to play a musical instrument. No, teach us uh, how to, um, you know, n- none of that. He said, Lord, teach us to pray. There was something about the prayer life of Jesus where they realized, oh my goodness, this man can talk to God and he listens. I need that for my life. And so um, we want to do this. And so we've given the initiative here, pray first. And as we go through this month, Pastor Dylan laid it out so well in a big picture last week. But I'm going to talk about the first P in pray, which is pause. And then we're going to go on next week to talk about rejoicing, asking, and yielding. Now, There are all kinds of techniques out there for praying and I'm not, you know, and it's, listen, we might as well be, you know, uh, like, we might as well be thinking that we can control God. If we pray like this, God will answer our prayers. No, God is a relationship. He's not a, a machine that we put in so much prayer and pull the lever and stuff comes out. But really, I've found that there are some steps that we need to take in order to get to a place not only where we can ask God for the right things, but also that we can hear the right answers. And the most important part of this that I want to talk with you about today is so countercultural. Uh, it's pause. I wonder if, uh, if we could shut off the, keep the 13 on, but get the left and right ones there and just turn those down real quick. Um, if you look at prayer, it is probably, we would agree, is the most important thing we need to do, talk to God, but there are all kinds of prayers out there. No, there's different kinds of praying, right? We, can, we need to ask God. Jesus said, "Ask and you shall receive." You know, sometimes we're like, oh, "I don't want to ask God to do something that I can't do myself." No, God said, "I want you to ask me. I want you to seek, so you can find me. I want you to knock, so the door can be open to you." For some reason, God made it that He will do His part, but we have to do our part. And He says, "I do want you to ask," but what's, prob- what's, what's problematic is, is that so many of us rush to the asking part that we don't pause. We're not still. We're multitasking, and we're not hearing from God. And I think part of the problem of why we're not hearing from God is because there's so much noise in our life we can't hear from him, especially in the day that we live in. And then this other ingredient of rejoicing. My goodness, you know, I, I, I've, I've realized through the years I've become a negative person. Some of you might be saying pastor, why is the curtain on one side and it's not on the other and every week you come in here that drives you nuts it's because your pastor on staff and the workers have too much going on in our life we don't have time to get the metal pole cut it and put the the thing back on there to put it back up but the Lord will use you and mightily if you come in and do that I mean it's just like like you're the kind of person that if there's a grammatical error, I am an easy target for you and I've misspelled stuff and and you you just can't get past that. It just drives you nuts. But sometimes if we focus more on what's right rather than what's wrong, it would actually change our heart towards things. There's a proverb that says it like this. He, uh, if you look for good, you'll find goodwill, but evil come to those who search for it. What that means is basically this. If you look for good, you might not find it, prop, but what will happen is goodwill in your heart will raise up to be patient with people. But if you want to look for what's wrong, you'll find it all day long. What you focus on is what becomes your reality. Now, I'm not talking about positive mental attitude, but I'm talking about biblical living biblically. In the Bible, Paul said it like this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. He had to say it twice to us because it doesn't come natural to us. And I'm learning to begin to look back in gratitude and then I'm beginning to celebrate what I'm believing God to do in my life before it happens because I just don't want to be the person that points out everything wrong. And then when he shows up, all of a sudden I'm like, oh, thank goodness. In fact, that every answer to prayer is really God just lightening my stress. That's what it becomes when you just focus on what's wrong. And so that that's, comes natural to me, and maybe you can relate to that. But here's the real hard one is yielding. Everybody, you maybe you've heard this before. God has three answers. Yes, no, and wait. I would say to you, there's four. Yes, no, wait, and I'm waiting for you to yield. Sometimes I find that I'm waiting and God's like, I know you're waiting on me, but actually I'm waiting on you because you know in order for you to go up, you have to give up, all right? You need to give up those relationships in order to go up into the new relationships and a relationship with me that I I want for your life and relationship with other people. You have to give up that thing that has become the God of your attention and your focus so that you can go up in the quality of your peace and your family and your relationships. There's always something competing for God's will in our life, always. And it really begins with this first one of, of yielding. Now, if you were to ask me why we exist as a church, and if you didn't get one of these, I'd encourage you to grab it on the way out. You don't have to get it right now, but on here, there are all kinds of things that help you to go forward and further in God. I guarantee you, some of you in this room today, your New Year's resolution has been uh, to get closer to God, and that's awesome. I've backed away from New Year's resolutions because all they do is highlight what I don't do right, like I'm going to lose 10 pounds by February 1st. <laughs> and February 2nd, I'm like, bring on the cake. Um, but a friend of mine, a spiritual friend of mine, encouraged me. said, Paul, what if you began to pick themes for your life? My themes for this year, which are my resolutions, or actually half of them came from this friend of mine. First one is trust. I realized sometimes the reason why I'm so busy is because I don't trust. I don't trust other people. I don't trust how the outcome's gonna come. And so I take control of everything. You know what's funny? Sometimes we take God's job, but God never tries to take over the job of being us. Isn't that ironic? But we try to take his job over all the time. We're going to make this happen. We're going to do it. I'm going to talk to the right people. I'm going to leverage this resource and call that person. And I'm going to set up, I'm going to set up preloaded emails and, you know, timed emails. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to, I, and I'm going to take this money and invest it here and then put it to that. And, and, and it's just insane. And what God wants you to do is just be still and know that he's God. And so in 2020, I want to trust more i I may not do it as much as I want to but I know i'm going to do it I'm going to do it more than I did last year second one is love if you knew that you had one week to live well I think you'd find out that so much that you focus on is really foolish what you think is important you'll realize I dedicated my life to things that weren't even meaningful or mattering to stuff and climbing the climbing the ladder and building a platform and a reputation and, you know, whatever it is. We all have different things. And and you realize God was trying to get you to sing, I will build my life upon a rock that won't be shaken. I'd build deeper relationships with my family. I'd build a deeper relationship with God. God doesn't build buildings. He had Abraham dig wells. And when they lost their faith in their way, the Bible says that the children and the grandchildren of Abraham, they would go back and it says, and they re-dug the wells of Abraham because when you have a relationship with God, you have to maintain that. And sometimes when we get passive and we let it slip, dirt fills in the place that used to be the source of God for our life. And so what do we do? We try to fill it with more friendships and more fun and more, you know, something new. And we do those things and the whole time God's like, stop, dig a well, be still and know that I'm God. And I think that if you pause with me in 2020, God's going to do some great things in your life. And I'm not going to go over them, but I will say this. Here's, here's one thing about our church. We exist for four things, and they're biblical, and I could give them to you in the Great Command, the Great Commission, but I'm just not going to walk through that right now. If my goal in life is to get closer to God, and God's over there, and I feel the distance, and to build my life on Christ. I don't get there in one step. I have individual steps in my growth spiritually. And the first one is, is to know God. I need to know God. And you know, being a part of services, learning how to pray, we've dedicated the month of January to prayer. This past Saturday from nine to 10 o'clock, we had close to 50 people in here calling on Jesus, being still in his presence, being loud in his presence, listening to music play. It was just, it was beautiful. And I encourage you, there's three more of those. Be here. We encourage you to bring your children. When was the last time your children saw you pray? When was the last time your children prayed with you? See, we have a a thing that used to happen in the church called Sunday night service and Wednesday night service, and altars were filled with adults that weren't too proud to cry or cry out and say, God, I need you, and weren't too shy to put their hand on you and say, God, they need you. And my fear for the 21st century is, is that we have a people that know not how to pray. We know how to sing real good. We know how to sing real good. But do we know how to pray real good? There are about six women in this church that every Monday from 7 to 8, not, not currently now, one of them is hurt and they're taking a break, but from 7 to 8, they're here at 7, 8 in the morning, and they're here every other Saturday night, and I would show up and I would hear them calling out, God, they've been praying for you. Lord, help their marriages. Oh, God, bring back their wayward child. Lord, would you please the hurt that that the enemy and people did to them would you help them to trust people again would you i mean these are the kind of things they're praying god would you move in our service lord would you visit us god would you change your people would you lord teach us to pray they're they're praying these things and sometimes i come through here and it's like i'm telling you i could just sense the presence of god in the other room like like a somebody turned the heat up to 90 it's just beautiful and i'll find myself weeping like it's just beautiful and we said you know what this shouldn't be the work of just six people this should be the work of all of us together if six Women can do this for our church. Imagine what 600 people can do for the Merrimack Valley. Imagine what can happen to the marriages in your life and the lives around you, the relationships, the hurt, the pain. Prayer changes everything. That's why we're focusing on it. So before you leave, grab this. And whether you're able to come to those meetings or not because of your schedule or all of them or part of them, this is, this is engraved in there in pray first and that bef- before you worry, you pray. Before you blow up at somebody, you pray. Before you give up, you pray. Before you shut down, pray. Before you take space from that spouse, pray. Before you, you, you wake up and start pacing in the middle of the night because you don't know how you're going to pay your bills and, and what you're going to do, pray. Before you go to that job interview, pray. Pray first. Because prayer changes everything. And this is engraved, we did it intentionally, so it's not in white that it stands out like, pray first, you know, or like them big crosses was up? I was, you know, it, it's, it's not there for them, it's there for you as a reminder for God to say, hey, talk to me, talk to me more, listen to me, listen to me more. And so uh, we'd ask that you take one for yourself. Maybe you have somebody you love or somebody that's a good friend of yours that's a part of here and they can't be here today. You're welcome to take one or two, two extra for them. But please don't take like a fistful and be like, yo, I'm taking this to everybody at work. You need to pray and you need to pray and you need to pray and you need to pray. You definitely need to pray. <laughs> here, give it to your boss, right? Here's 10. You definitely, wear all 10 of these, you know? That's not, that's not gonna cause you to pray. What's gonna cause you to pray is that you Pause. And there's other things, you know, not just talking to God that helps us know him, but we need people in our lives. This, uh, this week starts a new quarter of small groups. Um, just first service, we had our class next. If you want to do anything in this church, you need to start with next. If you've been a part of this church and you've never gone through the next class, you need to because we're continuing to grow into a different church in what we think is, is more and more a church that glorifies God. And if you haven't done that, please mark and just say, you know what, we're going to go to the 9 o'clock uh, next class, last room on the right, we're going to grow in our relationship with, with Jesus, but we're also going to get a better idea of what God has been doing and what he's about to do here and root ourselves. It's four classes. You can take one, be out one week, come back next month, take it again. But we encourage you to do that. But, but small groups is where things happen. Um, this is all spiritual, by the way. Just soak this in. But this is your pastor having a couch talk of, of love and life with you. If I just do church in rows and I never do it in circles of relationships, I can totally hide my flaws and that might make me feel better, but I can also keep people out of reach that God wanted to use to meet my needs. While we find, while we find forgiveness vertically, you only find freedom horizontally with other people in your life. I have a great mentor of mine, if you remember Brian and Liz Griswold, uh, or Brian and Emily Griswold, she was a missionary to India, she was here in October, her and her father shared, he, he is one of the greatest mentors I ever had in my life, and, and he just was like, Paul, I'm so sorry that even though I moved, we hadn't kept in touch, he goes, but I need you in my life, and really, to be honest with you, I looked at him, and I said, no, I need I need your voice in my life. Do you ever have somebody, you just look up to them, they're just incredibly spiritual, but they're incredibly loving, and they're incredibly wise, and you just want them in your life, and so I just said, man, let's do it. He said, well, why don't you just call me Saturday, and then I'd call, and then I'd call, and ever since October, whether it's 15 minutes or 50 minutes, I'm on the phone, and we're talking through this challenge he's going through in his life, and He's talking through. I'm talking through challenges that are going on in my life, and then all of a sudden, as we're about to hang up, he says, Paul, there's a difference between friends and spiritual friends. He says, friends you'll laugh with, you'll have fun with. You can take them or leave them. You'll want to take them more than leaving them. But he says, a spiritual friend is somebody that always takes the conversation and asks you the question, so what do you think God is trying to say to you through this? What do you think God wants you to do as your next step? What do you think God wants you to do for your next stop? You know, our stops are just as important as our steps. And then as I was about to hang up, he said, thank you for being my spiritual friend. Now, this man's a giant. I, I, I mean, I, there's no, I can, and then all of a sudden it was like, no, this is real. And I said, no, thank you for being my spiritual friend you know they say at the end of your life you know there's only five sermons you'll say that really transformed you and there's probably only five people that put such an indelible mark on your life you'll never forget it but man we we can have lots of acquaintances or little acquaintances depending on if we're socially extroverted or socially introverted but every single one of us needs spiritual friends and you won't find them on Netflix in the couch you won't find them over sleeping you won't find them in the bar you'll find them in small groups and we have groups for men, for women. We have groups that are focused. By the way, this today and tomorrow are the last days. If you want to go and learn, and uh, look at your finances, the ministry that we're doing, financial peace, that's what we call a focus group. It's going to meet here starting this Wednesday at, uh, at 6.30 p.m., And for the next eight weeks, we are going to look at debt. We're going to look at budget. We're going to look at how in the world can 2020 be the year that you begin to move in a direction that gets you to freedom financially and peace so that you're not waking up in the middle of the night stressed out or that instead of you passing the time and passing your money, you redeem the time and you redeem what God stewarded to you so that you can fill your cup and then have it run over to others And uh, I encourage you, go to the website today and under next steps you'll see financial peace. But some of you are grieving deeply. You've lost people you love. You've had relationships that have broken, marriages that have broken. We've got focus groups like Divorce Care that meets on Tuesdays and Grief Share. My goodness, even if it was a couple of years back, if you still get sideswiped with waves of grief, you need to go. Uh, There is such a thing as grieving bad, and it can infect, it can affect you for a long period of time. And I could go on and on and on. I'd also say, on the paper there you'll see there's counseling. We are one of a couple of churches in the Merrimack and North Shore area that have counselors available for you. And you might be like, I don't have insurance. I don't. You know what? This is like literally for twenty five dollars a session, you can meet with a professional clinical counselor. Sometimes in my life, I've had moments where I realize God says, worship the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I find that in some some church cultures, we have so much pride that we, we try to exalt ourselves spiritually and look good, but We're emotionally and mentally falling apart, and we're too proud to go and talk to somebody and say, I don't know what to do. My life's in knots. I can't. Those of you that are going to counseling right now, and it's completely confidential, you are the bravest souls I know, and I have no doubt that in 2020, God's going to untie those knots That were there, but some of you, maybe your next step is not just next, it's going to a small group. Maybe it's going to a counselor. And then others of you here, your next steps is how do I discover purpose and and make a difference? We have a thing here at our church called Dream Teams. We've got every Sunday, we need more people that would just say, hey, once a month I'll help as an usher. Some of you know Sound and Media, the Sound and Media team is, is overworked and understaffed. You want to talk about church security? I know there have been shootings. A personal friend of mine was connected directly with the original one at Columbine. He went around the country speaking to hundreds of thousands of people and it is a very near and dear thing to me. I grew up right down the road from where Sandy Hook is, but I want you to know something. You are in one incredibly safe church with cameras and security and we meet with the police department on a regular basis and we are watching out to make sure that this is a safe place and if evil comes here to do bad... Good is ready to meet it. You're in a safe place. We need you on security. Pastor Caitlin is going to go bald if she doesn't get more help in nursery and toddler church. I could go on and on here, but I'm saying how do we get in deeper relationship with God? If that's the goal, it's not just going to be you shutting yourself alone and just throwing prayer requests to God and asking, it's going to mean that you're going to have to pause. You're going to have to learn to rejoice. You're going to have to learn to ask, and you're going to have to learn how to yield. Yeah, I've come to re- You know what marriage taught me over the long haul? That I am one self-centered, selfish individual. Nothing brings out, heads up, for those of you that are engaged or looking to get married, nothing will bring out the selfishness of human nature more than marriage. Because after marriage, the month and week and year goes by, you get upset about all those little things that you can't control anymore. And really a good marriage is one that's able to just be like, I'm just gonna forgive it and let it roll. I'm still working on that though. Don't look at me, Diana. <laughs> so this is it. And there's a so just know, heads up, this is worth all the time that I'm taking. This is life, love, pastor, heart to heart chat. This coming Tuesday at 6 30 to 7 30, we're going to be here praying. Just an hour before you go to work 6 30, 7 30. Show up, just check it out. You're saying, I can't, I work night shifts. I understand that. Not everybody can be here. Not everybody can feasibly drive here and then drive to where they work. We totally get that. But then Wednesday, for an hour before service from 6 to 7, we pray again. And then Tuesday, again, 6.30 to 7.30, it's all on the website. We have an email going out to you again. But the big one is every Saturday this month from 9 to 10, we are sitting in the presence of God. And this Saturday was beautiful. It was beautiful. And here's the, here's the kick we want you to bring your kids. There was a father that had two of his children that was walking the aisles. And what was funny is, is every once in a while, the kid would walk by. I pray with my eyes open. How about you? And as the kid walked by, he looked up and he looked at me and he smiled, but then he looked at his dad and he was like, it was like I couldn't have seen a prouder look on his face. What better place to teach your children how to pray than to have them watch you pray? It's, it's a great opportunity. So, Father, that's my prayer for this community, that we would build our life upon you through prayer, that we wouldn't try to take your job, but we wouldn't also try to think that we, you don't want to be burdened. You say, ask, seek, knock. And that if we want to be closer to you this year, that we would take the next step for our life, and if possible, even in these moments of prayer, that you would change our world. In Jesus' name. When I came to Christ, a lot of you have heard my story. Um, There's all of the mixings of drugs and sexual perversion and all of those kind of things. And um, I I wasn't a major drug dealer, but I was connected to some pretty big ones. And just for the thrill of it, I took a cop's wallet off of them because I could do it. And they could not prove it. But they knew I did it. So they began to investigate me. And I would show up sometimes early to work. And I'd look out. And there'd be police cars there. And they'd be chatting with my place of employment. And, you know, trying to figure out information. And then they'd go. And then every once in a while, I'd just drive by. And I'd be like, that is totally an undercover cop. That's an undercover cop. And I was younger at this time. I was 18. And I knew if I went to prison, it was not going to go well for me. And so all of a sudden, I got religious. (laughs) And my mom said, Paul, it's your birthday. She shouldn't have given me anything. I was horrible. I used to curse at her when she would pray. Spit. I'm not saying that for drama. I mean, I literally, that's how I treated my mother. And she said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, a Bible. My mom goes, christiandistributors.com, christianbook.com. She goes on there, she goes, NIV study Bible. And then she gave it to me. And here's the thing that I'll never forget is that I was going to work early And I would go up into this high hill where there's a cliff that overlooked, because I was keeping an eye on the police as they were keeping an eye on me, and I was reading up there, and I open up to this story that's found in Luke chapter 10. And if you'll turn there, this is the first story that God ever gave me that I feel like he's given me again because he wants me to remember what's really important. It's found in Luke chapter 10 verse 38. And it's always good for those of you that are public speakers and preachers to give people time to turn to the, to the book instead of jumping right into it. Notice I'm giving you time and buying time. I'll look at it and I'll look at my Greek Bible. And as you get there, you could look at it on your phone or you can just listen. Either way, it doesn't matter. Story of Mary and Martha. The story of what it's like for a person who never pauses at the right moment. And someone that understands what really matters is sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus and listened to his teachings. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And when she went up to him, she said, Lord, don't you even care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that one thing, that good portion. And I'm sorry, but it will not be taken from her. There's so much noise in our culture. Now, there, we have a lot of different personalities in the room. Some of you are introverts. Wave your hand at me. Oh, you talk, and then you're forming your thoughts outside of your head. You're, you're, you're introverts. You think it in your head, and you speak it. Extroverts, you're shouting it out, and you're like, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Oh, my goodness, and you're like, I'm, I'm an extrovert. I, I reverse that, but, you know, an introvert. You can tell the difference between an introvert and an extrovert by asking them, what was the best thing that happened this week in your life? An, in, an extrovert will be like, Well, that's really difficult because, well, first of all, I did this and did that. Ask an introvert, here's what happens. Freaking out looks different for introverts and extroverts, all right? Pastor Dylan is an introvert. Here's what it looks like with Pastor Dylan melting down like Chernobyl from stress. But we all and Pastor Caitlin, right? What in the world are we going to do? How are we going to take care of this? <laughs> <You know. laughs> Introvert and extrovert. Where do you fall on that? Sometimes you're a little, we're a little bit in the middle, and sometimes it depends with who we're around, but we all kind of react with that. Uh, and in this story, man, uh, Martha is clearly an extrovert. I don't know if I have a couple of slides before the first video. Can you confirm that? I do, okay, I just don't want to click to something here. Look at, look at this, Mary sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teachings. Think about that. I mean, in Judaism, you stand to read God's word, you recline to eat. If you look at the Passover, John is leaned up and reclining, and it says they recline. This is the way that just the world worked. You stand to read God's word, you recline to eat, but you sit to teach and to be taught. So Jesus would come into this house and just say, let me speak into your life. And Mary, she doesn't care that the carpet's not vacuumed. She doesn't care that the dishes are going to be piled up. She'll take care of it later. But Martha is freaking out. How many of you would say, I am totally a Martha? And so you show up and then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we're going to have a Jesus over and there's going to be like 50 people showing up at the house, right? Mary's like, yes! And she's like, oh my goodness, this will be great. Okay, let me just, let me make sure the couch is set. And I, okay, that's good. Now there's dishes in there. You know what Martha does? She freaks out. She gets out the vacuum and she's like going Can you please help me with what's going on? Get back! Dog, can't stand it. She, all of a sudden she gets a text. Oh my goodness. <sighs> Excuse me. She's freaking out. She's all over the place, right? How many of you ever have those moments where you're about to have a time with God, right? And then and then all of a sudden you're just like, oh Lord. Bloop. Father, we thank you. Father, so much holy great and gracious father I just love you and I just thank you (laughs) for what you're doing in my life if you want to get married don't ever do that to somebody you are in pursuit of because you what do you do when you love someone you give them your attention not your tension. listen do you know what the myth of multitasking is you can do a bunch of things at the same time, but you're really not engaging your heart and your head simultaneously when you do it that way. Now, it's okay to multitask. I, th- this is You'll find this. Put this to the test with me. I hold five conversations at the same time. It's the way that God's made me. I can talk to five different people simultaneously, and I'll be like, yep. And sometimes I've had like people, they'd stop, and they'd be like, and then I'd be like, the answer to that question is, yes, I was listening to it. You were making faces at me, but I understand what it is. And in fact, you didn't notice, but this, this, that, and that, and that right? Isn't it true, Pastor Dylan? I'm like, I'm held in five conversations. I can do that. But I've come to realize that, that there are moments where I have to have my total life paused if I'm really going to have my heart and my head engaged at the same time. And in this culture that we live in, it is insane I've got another verse after this, right? Tell me the next one's not the video, right? Sorry, I meant to print this up, but look at Martha. Where's Martha? She's distracted. She's distracted with serving. Now, understand this. If you attend this church on a regular basis and you don't serve in something once a month, this verse is not talking to you. We're not talking about that. But I mean like she never knows how to stop. Now I'm the extrovert in my marriage my wife is the introvert but there are times where I'm just unreasonable and I've learned that I use my extroverted verbal skills as a weapon against her and there have been times where I just start blah blah, blah 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 and 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 then all and, and it, I'm totally being inappropriate I'm totally being unfair I'm totally using the advantage of my communication and there've been a couple of times where she says "Will you just please stop?" Oh, you know that, huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. You get, can you just say preach it for me? Preach it, right? Y- yeah. <laughs> this is real life, right? Yeah. I've realized that I have an incredible weapon. It's tomahawk missiles of verbal c- control. And one time, two times, too many times, my wife would be like, would you please stop. Stop. I can't even think when you're talking like that. And half the stuff that I said shouldn't even come out of my mouth. When it says in the Bible that we will give an account for every idle word spoken, I just want to apologize in advance when I go in before you. You're going to be waiting a while. (laughs) I know what I'm not. God knows what I'm not. He's not looking for me to be perfect. He's looking for me to be his. Because he loves me despite my imperfections. He loves you despite your flaws and imperfections. But he wants your total attention. And when it comes to prayer, the truth of the matter is is that in our culture that is inundated with insatiable demands for your attention, most of us in here don't know how to pause. And we might ask God for lots of things, but we don't hear the answers often because we're so noisy and overwhelmed with things That don't matter. Do I have another verse after? I do. Thank you for that cue. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Do I got one more? Take a risk. (laughs) Pray first. It says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and you're troubled about so many things. But only one thing's needful. many things, if you had one week to live, would look back and say, I gave myself to those many things. I didn't give myself to that needful. I didn't give myself completely to my wife when she needed my attention, to myself when I needed to back off of my tension, my kids, my new people that are meeting me. And man, can I apologize to you? Sometimes I'm just all over the place and you're having that one window to make that quick connection. I'm like, hey, great. Okay. God bless you. Thank you so much. And then it's like, and that's why we have moments where we gather and we invite newer people to meet with the pastors. And, and uh, I love coffee. I'd, I'd connect with you any But sometimes we're just anxious and troubled about many things. You know why? Because we're making preparations for what we think is important. And then we're going to realize the things that we put so much effort and time into preparing really didn't matter at all. In the past 10 years, technology has turned and created a phenomena in the day that you and I live in that is so dysfunctional and so destructive that we don't even recognize it. Uh, how many of you remember Candid Camera? It's all my peers, right? The daughter of the man in charge of Candid Camera Funk, his, daughter's, his daughter, uh, Juliet Funk, is very famous for talking about the need for the human mind to pause and have what's called white space. That if you just go and go and go. You know that game whack a mole? Have you ever seen it where it sticks his head up and you go poof and it sticks his head up and it goes poof. And if you're fans of the office, you know Dwight True he totally did this because he hit real moles, right? And you're just out there going boom boom, 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 boom. boom. I'm awesome at that game, man. I'm just like psh, 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 psh. Psh. But that's how some of us approach life. And we're so distracted and then we're so anxious and we wonder why we're such an emotional wreck because we have lost the ability to pause and talk to God. Well, Juliet Funk uh, has this business that works with business people. I want you to listen just to this literally 60-second clip that she has. I think if you've got the volume already set, it's going to speak right from the beginning.
1: Now we are progressively more used to our seamlessly connected activities, but if we step back we see that our time is no less than under attack. Meetings, email, and ever-present smartphones are gobbling it up and consequently the US workforce is so fried it belongs in the food court of a county fair. (laughs) Innovation and creativity are withering before the false god of busyness. At home, families are struggling to connect because grown ups are multitasking during dinner, tied to the office by invisible ropes. And so, kids, lonely, go off to find a warm screen of their own. And this is the troubling portrait of what we call the culture of insatiability, where nothing that we do is ever enough. And this driving, insatiable culture has turned the average workday into a sprint of reactive busyness. And it's a giant problem. Because when talented people don't have time to think, business inevitably suffers. Now, I challenge you. I challenge you to try to remember, when is the last time you caught somebody thinking where you work? And what would you do? What would you do if you just came around the corner and you just caught them, just mm-hmm, mm-hmm, would you, would you call a paramedic? Would you would you alert the media? We have no posture that is comfortable when relating to thoughtfulness, even though thoughtfulness is what changes everything.
0: Isn't that profound? let be clear to the culture. Listen to this verse from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 18. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. You know, I always heard that God had three ways of answering prayer, yes, no, and wait, right? But the fourth is yield. He's waiting for me to align myself because I'm expecting him to respond a certain way, but he can't respond to me until I've aligned my life in a certain place, my heart in a certain place. The Lord waits for you to be gracious to you. Therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are they who wait for him. I've had a lot of trouble with sleep through the years. A lot of times it's connected to me taking God's God's job from him. Other times it's worrying about the future, which I can't add another day to my life by worrying about tomorrow, as Jesus said, but I've definitely taken a few away from it. And I began this practice that my friend's grandfather, who was a real godly Bible college teacher years ago, did. I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, instead of me pacing the walls, instead of me doing this, what if I just sit? And I just said, Lord, everybody's asleep. But you never sleep or slumber. I just want to keep you company. And some of you in this room... Have paused like that before and understand what I'm about to say. Maybe as small as a candle. It's just this warm glow of God's presence that shows up. Then all of a sudden I find myself not saying, Lord, help me with this, help me with that, answer this, answer that, but then all of a sudden I start saying, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. God, thank you for all you do. And all of a sudden I move from saying thank you and then all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, that glow has turned into a shine. And I start saying, oh God, you are so good. I praise you. I worship you. I glorify you. You see, most of the beautiful songs of my life haven't been written by Elevation Church, Charles Wesley. They've been these improv two moments with no... Musical sheets of me shifting from the madness of life to pausing and saying how good God is to then exalting every single thing about him that I just, there's no words in the English language. And yet because of your culture, because of my culture, because of the, the, and we've got all of these different ways to connect. The way we have downtime is actually uptime mentally. And we've got the way to take it mobile. And then we say it's for work. And then work comes home with us 24-7. And although I'm at my house, so many times I have different wires connected to my life that are hitting me at all kinds of crazy hours. And then finally when I say I'm going to stop that and I begin to talk to God, I start this. And I realize... I never really developed the ability to sit still in the presence of God. And I ask myself, is it possible that the noise is the problem? And if God waits to be gracious to me and good to me for those that seek him and those that wait on him, could it be because I'm not seeking him and I'm not waiting for him, that's the reason why I can't see his good in my life. I'm overlooking it because of the noise. I think I could teach you more as a pastor what I've done wrong in my life than what I've done right in my life. And I feel like I'm learning to pray all over again. There's more to it. Listen, we need to ask God. And intercession, you better believe it. Spiritual warfare, you know it. But if you don't learn how to pause, you'll always talk at God. But you'll not Cultivate the ability for him to whisper his love to your life. Being still and doing nothing are not the same thing. Mr. the Miyagi. There's a verse, and musicians really know this well, but in the Psalms, it says, Selah. Do you know what that word means? Please stop singing it. Please stop talking about it. Would you please just stop and really think about it? How many times has somebody said something to you, or your kids have said something to you, or your spouse, or your boss, or somebody has said something, and you're like, I, yeah, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know. Yep, but then you get back up here, and really all you're doing is just, you never say la. You you are proud of how you can do five conversations at once, and six digital devices, and seven business projects early because you did overtime and you never did time with God. I love the author of the book that we've been reading, How to Pray, a guide for simple people. And if you haven't bought it, man, you got to get it. If you struggle reading, you need to get it in Audible. If you don't like carrying physical books, get it in Kindle. But this guy, Pete uh, Pete Greig, how to pray, a simple guide for normal people. That's us. He writes this. He says, I cannot emphasize too strongly how important it is to your spiritual, mental, and physical well-being that you learn to silence the world's restless chatter for a few minutes each day. To become still in the depth of your soul, you must seek solitude and silence as if your life depends on it because in a way it does. Philosopher wrote this once. I don't think he was a Christian, but it really is profound. And he said, all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quiet in a room alone. Why is it so hard to be silent? Why is it so hard? What? I've, I've learned, actually, in pastoring and counseling through the years when somebody's talking to me, usually the issue isn't the issue. And I've learned sometimes to just when somebody throws something out there, they're really not looking for an answer. They're, they're really just needing to hear themselves talk more. And I've learned to just kind of speak, but I've also learned to be quiet and listen. And when you still your heart before God, and there are so many verses about it, be still and know that he's God. Let the people of Israel be silent let me tell you what, I grew up around real Pentecost. There's a lot of hoopla, whiz-bang, and there's a lot of noise. And some people think the louder it is and the faster it is, the more anointed it is. But a full can don't rattle. I've seen that Pentecost. I've seen people walk out of wheelchairs. I've seen people come in at 2 in the morning in a building with tears saying, I don't know why I was going to take my life, but God led me here. And I, I, I need God. And watching 10 people gather around that person, I've seen it. Like, like I've seen it. God, the God of Elijah is alive and well. God can move like that today. But sometimes we try to pump it up with noise and, and a whole bunch of this, that, and the other thing. And, and really, before that can happen, genuine, you need to still your soul before God because I have gone in so many directions that seemed like God that never were. Why is it so hard to be quiet? I think in part because I don't like my own voice. I'd like to quote myself. The one I choose to be with is the one I choose to become like. I'm tired of being me and being with me. I don't like who I've become. I want to be with him so that I become more like him. I want to be like Jesus. I'm not there yet. But I realize in 2020, if one of your resolutions and goals is to have more of God in your life, to have more of Jesus in your life, to have more of his spirit in your life, for him to use you more, it starts with this. You can't get to the ask until you're still. Why is it that silence is so difficult? In the quiet, in the quiet, in the quiet, I know you are there. In the quiet, in the quiet, in the quiet I know you are there you are there I know this was the last week of your life, who would you spend it with? What would you spend it doing? Would your themes of frustration and criticism be what flows or apologies? Would you be busy trying to accomplish long-term goals that you realize won't matter because there is no more long-term for your life? That's what was going through Jesus's heart and mind the night he was betrayed. Oh yeah, he knew what it was like to be betrayed. This isn't anything new. It's just life. And they were partaking of a meal called the Passover to celebrate the ever famous sacrifice for sin, the Passover lamb. And Jesus connected it to him and he said, I want you to know something. I wouldn't rather spend the last evening of my life anybody else. He held up the bread and the Bible says he broke it. And as he was doing that, he was probably picturing what they weren't even a clue to, that he was going to have his body beaten beyond human recognition for them, for us, for you. He said, this is my body. It was given for you. do this in remembrance of me. That's a friend. That moment, that night, it wasn't a ritual. It was a goodbye. So that you and I today could do this and say hello to the God that knows all of my flaws and quirks and still loves me. To the Lord that took all of my sin and my shame so that he could own me. I may not be who I used to be, but I still am not the person I ought to be. But here in this room today, Jesus, we say thank you for calling us to your table again and again, that last moment of your life so that we could have life eternally. And to that, we partake of this bread. We can partake. After he did that, he took another cup cup of redemption. Redemption is buying something back. You and I belong to God. He made us. He paid for us. He shouldn't have had to redeem us, but He did. For every single shameful, disgraceful thing, whether you've grown up in the church or not, let His blood be shed. In that last moment, that last week, that last night of His life, He looked at His disciples and He said, take this cup And this is my blood just being shed for you. He said to him, every time you drink this cup and break this bread, you proclaim my death until the Lord's return. Can we partake of this cup for every moment God wanted to speak to us, but we were creating noise. Can we take this cup and say, oh God, make 2020 a year where I learn to pause before I petition you. Before I take your job away from you, can I pause and let you here stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Father, thank you for your cup that brings life because of your death, that brings forgiveness because of the punishment you took for us. And to this, we partake of this cup in Jesus' name. Take the cup with Go ahead. Kind of a different service, isn't it? It's beautiful. Don't worry, I'll be my same crazy loud person next week, but God wants 2020 to be the best and closest year. He is to you in your life, but you're not gonna get there by accident. You have to create space for him. That's why we're doing Pray First. That's why Tuesday morning from 738, Thursday morning, 738, and of course your whole family from nine to 10 will be here and it's a chance for you to connect, but don't start your day without first stopping it. Because our thoughts are not his thoughts, our ways are not his ways. There's so much higher. So much higher. God bless you. I love you. We pray for you. I want you to like who you are five years from now. That means you need to change it now. Need to start now, or you're not going to like the person you are five years from now. You need him. Here's the beautiful thing he wants you, he loves you.